I'm Amalia Radu and you're listening to the Holloway FM Hungry London podcast. In this episode, we'll highlight London Met 2021 Newsweek, which, by virtue of the COVID-19 situation, was held online on Tuesday, 19th of January. Students from the School of Computing and Digital Media, mainly journalism students, discussed why so many people are using food banks in London. The London Met Newsweek is organized annually for journalism students to learn how to cover live events on topical issues. This year's topic is Hungry London, why are more people using food banks? The panelists were Anne Elkins from the Felix Project, Leon Arts, founder of the charity With Compassion, Tiffany Cummings, healthcare worker, mother of three and passionate about food rights, Carmel McConnell, founder of the charity Magic Breakfast, Morvan Oliver Larkin, coordinator of London Food Poverty Campaign, Mohamed Hashi and Solomon Smith, founders of the Brixton Soup Kitchen. Stay with us. London is one of the richest cities in the world. Why are so many people queuing up to receive food handouts from food banks amid high food poverty rates in the city? In recent weeks, there has been a furor over food parcels and free school meals. Tiffany has two teenagers in secondary school and has recently gotten a food parcel from the school. She believes parents are vilified and that the parcels aren't enough. When the government says, actually, we'll, we'll give you food parcels, that way we can ensure you're actually getting food. But the bag that I got from my children's secondary school, probably a bit more than five pounds per child was spent, but definitely not enough to make lunches for a school week. And Elkins agrees. Yeah, it's not, it's not good enough. It's not enough food. The quality of the food didn't look like it was enough. It was a bit embarrassing, actually. That's what my feelings were. Carmen McConnell, whose Magic Breakfast organization provides healthy school breakfasts for school children, says food parcels interventions have to be based on people's choice. But what's really clear is that families are very good. Families on budgets are very good at determining what will be the best use of a small amount of money and very good at budgeting. And, you know, I've said for years that the mums I talked to at the gates and dads as well are geniuses of budgets because they're taking tiny amounts of money and making it last because you can't negotiate your rent, you can't negotiate your electric, you try and figure out your food. And so I think, you know, this was an essential part of a contract that was made to a school to provide good nutrition as part of the school food plan team working with Henry and John from, from Leon, there are really strong school food standards. These boxes came woefully short and it came down to a profit motive that was well ahead of human compassion for people that needed good food. And that was what made us all completely furious. Dr. Mohamed Hashi and Solomon Smith of the Brixton Soup Kitchen believe that government is out of touch with ordinary people's lives. You know, it shows that these people haven't got any contact with someone that's on free school meals. It shows that they haven't got any contact with someone that's going through poverty. Because when you look at what they gave, you know, that's something that you couldn't give your rabbit for a week, let alone humans. And for me, 
there has to be a change in, in, in how they go through this. It, it shouldn't be about giving contracts to your friends because personally, I'm really interested to know who owns the company that got the contract, really, because we've seen a lot of examples in terms of COVID, in terms of you know all these COVID contracts that were given out and, and you, oh, oh, lo and behold, there was an MP's cousin or MP's neighbor that was, that was given. And I'm thinking the vital thing for all humans, regardless of what level of income you have, need, and that's what you gave them, I would love to imagine what would happen if they said that private school. At the soup kitchen, you know, we always just see what happens on the news and the slapdash work. And it makes us very furious because we are absolutely passionate about the work that we're doing here. And we don't get the support from the government when we're looking on the news and we're seeing they're giving rabbit food to humans. You know, the food that we get from compassion, amazing. The the money that um, the um, the food and the donations we get from the Felix Project, amazing. What would we be doing without these organisations? How do we survive? You know, we don't get no government funding without the Felix Project, without Compassionate, we would be finished. And we do need the government to definitely step up and definitely step in. One of the most animated and emotional discussion points was whether food was a right or a privilege. I believe food is a human right and um, it's a basic right which I think governments are here to look after their, their citizens, the people who live in their country or live in their borough. That uh, duty is often forgotten, I think, especially in modern times and that came to highlight now during COVID. Um, food, unfortunately, is used as a bargaining tool by uh, by councils by politicians to um, get what they really want to get for carmen mcconnell the united kingdom has signed up to the united nations millennium development goal of ending food poverty and suggests the creation of a national strategy i want us to have a national strategic framework that says food will be available nutritious food that's right for the individual will be available so that hunger is not compounding the social deprivation, the racism and the sexism at the core of this really dysfunctional fallout from COVID. So I, you know, I'm very passionate really about using this crisis to say hunger is not acceptable in a society where we've got the largest numbers of billionaires in London than anywhere else in the world apart from one other place. And it is unacceptable to have one family you know, struggling and going hungry to bed and waking up hungry. Dr. Hashi is the first Somali councillor in Lambeth who's been a youth worker for 20 years, urged greater participation in politics. Take part in, in the selection process of, of, of candidates, becoming candidates ourselves. So we're actually sitting there when the policies are being made, not when the policies have already been voted through and we're having to live through them. And for me, it's really important that we take control of our lives at this point. We've seen what it looks like with a, with a government that has a lot of resentment and disregard for us. We've seen through COVID, we've seen through how the restrictions have been implemented late so often and without any real consultation. We've seen how people have been treated when we look at stop and search with home secretaries. We seem to be of the right colour to, to have sense, but still make the wrong decisions. And I think it's so important that we start to put ourselves forward to take on these responsibilities that we know are going to affect our kids as we come. 
Morvan, whose charity organization Sustain UK is highly involved in food right activism, concurs with her fellow panelists and emphasizes that the situation is unacceptable. Seeing food as a fundamental human right is absolutely key to this. And it's not just that, I think all too often in the eyes of aspects of our government and um, it was kind of evidenced by the free school meal um, bags catastrophe that we've just seen, it's seen as, okay, how do we make sure people don't literally starve? And then that's the baseline. And, and that's just not good enough. It's absolutely horrific to look at it that way, you know. And in some cases, they're not doing enough to actually make sure that that doesn't happen as well. But in a rights-based framework, there's dignity, there's trust, there's collaboration. And I think that's really key. Tiffany Cummings explains her experience with food poverty growing up. Food was always seen as a privilege in my household growing up as a child. And you develop a mindset that teaches you that you are different from a very early age. And so that would then limit where you will put yourself, the opportunities you may or may not go for, because you've already had it shaped and formed in your mind what you can expect to get out of life. And unfortunately, poverty was one of those things you just accept. Tiffany went on to say that even though she is gainfully employed and earning a steady income, she's still fallen in the food poverty gap. It's so much better than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. However, I'm working and I still earn less than it costs to live in London. And something has to be done about that. Since the COVID-19 pandemic visited the shores of this country, many lives have been lost and so have livelihoods. Has there been an increase in the number of people visiting food banks? Yes, absolutely, unequivocally, undoubtedly. The coronavirus pandemic has increased the people that are using food banks hugely, absolutely hugely. But how do Londoners find themselves in this situation? Wealth is on the inside. I think what we lost is our common humanity. That's something I like to talk about often. And being rich is when you just keep it for yourself in fear that someone else takes it. That's actually being very poor. It's a, it's a rich place in general. And it's about distribution of wealth fundamentally and, and how who gets which slice of the of the pie and covid obviously happened after 10 years of austerity and hollowing out of the welfare state so i think that's in a nutshell how we got to where we are now and there are complex a lot of that is about is about ideology and about where government chooses to spend their money because they spend a lot of money on certain things and not very much money on other things um, and but a lot of it is also about the ideology of austerity where they're choosing to cut back on services and I think we've seen it in the NHS we've seen it in local government we've seen it in all of these different aspects of public spending where Covid happened at a time when services were already absolutely at, at, at a minimum and likewise for benefits I mean they hadn't been upgraded in line with inflation for for half a decade because of the the decisions of the coalition and the Tory government and that's that's meant that when people are hit with a crisis, individuals and communities don't have enough resilience to kind of weather that storm. Leon Arts and Marvin Oliver Larkin on how London's food crisis all began. 
You're listening to the Holloway Express Hungry London podcast. We've been talking about why so many Londoners are resorting to food banks to keep hunger at bay. Now we've talked about the problem and how people are suffering, but what's the solution? The solution is to enable people to have enough money with enough jobs, with enough housing to be to, to live affordable lives and um, make the choices they need to make upscaling and accelerating the existing on the ground organizations you know there has to be a big uplift i know that fair share felix trussell trust compassion rackets cubed magic breakfast you know we're all you know kind of really going for it but there's a a, a, a need to upscale and accelerate the work that's going on as well as as Anne says you know kind of make sure that we've got the moral case and the business case to the policymakers to make sure that we're actually building a high skill uh, economy. I've, I've put together a program called the Life Program, which is called Let's Invest for a Fitter Economy. So everyone going to a food bank gets a personal mentor and a development program, very similar to the one that Sports England do with elite, elite athletes. I think we need to see a greater representation of people who are really, people like ourselves, we should be politicians, I think. We seem to be more aware of the needs of real people uh, every day. And also, I'd like to see um, a lot more of what we're doing talk to children a lot more earlier. Um, I think the national curriculum needs to change as well. We need to have more focus on mental and emotional well-being, uh, real life skills such as budgeting and how to manage for a crisis, how to support others in a crisis. I know uh, this was kind of un unforeseen, but life can be tough and I don't think we have enough to build resilience amongst some communities. Anne Elkins, Carmel McConnell and Tiffany Cummings rounding off proceedings at the London Met Hungry London Newsweek. That also brings us to the end of this podcast. You've been listening to the Holloway FM Hungry London podcast. Very big thank you to the production team Lamin Jaite. And many thanks to the London Med Journalism Teaching Team for organizing the Hungry London event. I'm Amalia Radu. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.